Have you ever felt the brush of an angel's wing? How much do you know about angels? Have you ever felt the touch of an angel? Jesus was acquainted with angels. An angel came to his mother to announce that this holy thing conceived in her womb was, nothing, was none other than the Son of God himself. And an angel came to Joseph to quiet his nervousness, his fears, and his doubts, to tell him that this baby, the woman he loved, was carrying, was truly the Son of God. Angels announced his birth on that holy night when heaven sang, heaven rang, and angels sang, I bring you gracious news to all the world's hearing. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We are told that angels protected his mother and father as they carried Jesus down to Egypt to escape Herod. And angels watched his condescension and his life. For Paul says that he was manifested in the flesh, he was vindicated in the spirit, he was seen of angels, he was preached on in the world, believed on by the nations, and received up in glory. The author of the book of Hebrews says that angels worshipped him. He was surrounded by a legion of angels that were ready at his beck and call to deliver him from the abuse of the cross and of mankind. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free. An angel sat on his tomb to announce to those who came to the garden, He's not here, He is arisen. Peter says that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, angels came and ministered to Him. What a sight that must have been. Angels peering over the brink of heaven itself, watching. And then when Jesus stepped through the gates, the song of the Lord, the song of the Lamb began and angels minister to him. The scripture says that when he returns, he'll be accompanied by angels. And at the bar of judgment, says the revelator, there will be a thousand thousands of angels who will be subject to him. How much do you know about angels? Have you ever seen an angel? The young covenanting Martyr stood on the gallus at Grass Market in Edinburgh waiting to die. And all of a sudden he lifted up his eyes to heaven and gazed a while and then shouted, Angels, look, the angels are coming to carry me to the bosom of our Lord. Have you ever felt the brush of an angel's wing? Now I'm going to resist this, this morning the temptation to speak on the biblical doctrine of angels. That would be an interesting subject for preaching and teaching. But I just want to point out these two times, and there are only two, where angels came and ministered to Jesus. I want us to find out why they came. For if we find out why these angels ministered to Jesus, we might find out why we know so little about them. In the first place, angels always come to us 
when we resist the power of the tempter. And the scripture says that Jesus was led out in the wilderness to experience them. You know how they came. You know the order. The first temptation came at the point of one's physical appetite. And so the tempter said to Jesus, Since you are the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones to bread? He was hungry, of course. He'd been fasting for 40 days and his eyes fixed on those brown stones on the floor of the desert. Travelers say they even look like little loaves of bread. And Jesus must have thought to himself, since I am the Son of God, I have a hunger, I have the power to turn these stones to bread. I'll just turn this power in on myself and gratify the hunger. Why should I deny myself the satisfaction of this physical desire? You've all felt the temptation, haven't you? I have a hunger, I have a physical appetite, I have a desire, I have a passion, I have the power to gratify it. Why should I deny myself the pleasure? What does hinder me from turning these stones to bread? And the temptation was at the point of believing that the most important things in life are material. And so Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone. In my mind this morning, I see a large crowd of people climbing a mountain. They're trying to make it to the top. They don't even know why they're doing it. They don't even know what's at the top. But there's a light of hope and expectancy in their eyes as they make the climb. Some of them even have to climb over their friends to make it. Almost to the top, they see another crowd coming down. There's a look of disappointment on their faces, and so they engage them in a conversation. Where have you been? And the crowd says disappointedly, We have been to the top, and there's nothing there. Clovis Chapel tells about the village idiot. He's a little boy with a 27-year-old body and a 10-year-old mind, a child's mind. At the Christmas party, the community Christmas tree, there's a package for him with all of the other children there. Oh, he's so excited. He wants his present. But the man passing out the gifts is reserving his for last. His eyes look like two fried eggs. He's trembling with excitement. He's just spellbound waiting for his gift. It's the biggest under the tree. It's the most gaily wrapped. When all the others are passed out, the man hands the, little, hands the boy, the retarded boy, his present. With trembling hands, he tears at the wrapping. He tears off the bow. He opens the box, and his eyes turn to horror, for the box is empty. Clovis Chapel said, What a terrible trick to play on the village idiot. It's the trick the tempter plays. For man cannot live by bread alone. There's nothing in the box. If the first temptation came at the point of one's physical appetites, the second came at the point of one's social appetites and perhaps at, one, at the point of one's trust in God. And so Satan took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, since you are the Son of God and he's promised already in his word that he'll not allow you to hurt yourself, jump down from this pinnacle and you won't even cut your foot. The angels will bear you up. You want a crowd to follow you? Then do something spectacular. For men are as hungry for the sensational as they are for bread. 
You know the temptation, don't you? You've experienced it time and time again. It's the temptation to do something cheap in order to win the approval of another. You heard about the two men out fishing in a boat in the middle of a lake. They both wore dentures, and so out there, relaxing in the boat, they took their dentures out and put them on the, on the seat in the boat, both of them. One was catching a fish. He was involved, active. The other noticed he wasn't watching, so he just switched the dentures. When he got his fish, fish loaded, he put what he thought was his dentures in his mouth. They didn't fit, didn't feel right, so he said, I never did like these things anyway. Took them out and threw them in the middle of the lake. The moral of that story is don't throw away something precious to you. You felt the temptation, haven't you? The temptation to do something cheap. The temptation to throw away something precious in order to win someone else's applause. Why, he said, jump from the temple, God will bear you up. But I want you to know that there's a thin line between devoted trust and daring unbelief. It was a subtle temptation. Satan was saying, paint God in a corner. Dare Him. Make Him do something to prove Himself. Trust Him. Well, that'd be convenient, wouldn't it? Get in your car, drive 80 miles an hour, 90, 100 down the freeway saying, well, I'm trusting God. I have this little angel that's taking care of me. God's going to watch over me. If it's not my time to die, he'll, he'll take care of me. But that's really not trust, my friend. It's daring God in a way that God will not be dared. For there is a thin line between real trust and a presuming dare upon faith. And so Satan finally took him up on a high mountain. And he said to him, all these kingdoms are yours if you bow down to me. They were already his. He made them. The scripture said there wasn't anything made that he didn't make. And they would be given to him again, for the Bible says that there's coming a day when he'll reign as king of kings and lord of lords. But Satan said, all of it is yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You've had that temptation come to you, haven't you? It's the temptation to take a shortcut to success. It comes to the student in the classroom. Got to make those grades. Got to have a good report card. Unprepared for the test. But the man next, the fellow next in the next uh, seat, my neighbor is prepared. All I've got to do is just look over and get the answer I need. The temptation comes to the businessman. Here's the opportunity for a big deal. Take a shortcut or two. Nobody will ever know. The temptation comes to the young woman. Why should I be a wallflower? Everybody's doing it. All I've got to do is sacrifice my honor and my chastity. And behind it all is the temptation to take some other way than God's way. And so Jesus said to Satan, get behind me. And the Bible says that the devil left him, watch this, and angels came and ministered to him. I'm not surprised 
For angels always come and minister to those who have stood against the tempter in the power of his temptation. Now, I think I need to help you understand what I'm talking about. Carlisle Marnie tells about the lady who said, I'm just doing great in, with regard to temptation. I, don't, I never sin. I'm just never tempted. Well, he said, what, what, what temptations are you having, a, having, it, having it well with? And she said, well, a dancing and dipping snuff and, and one other I don't remember, but it, had, it was a temptation that she never really ever experienced. Most of us do real well with those temptations that never come to us. But I ask you this question. How are you getting along with the temptations that nag at you in the flesh? And how are you getting along with the temptation to take a shortcut to success no matter what, no matter where, no matter how? And how are you getting along with the temptation to throw away something precious, to do something cheap in order to gain someone else's approval? Perhaps we're not doing too well with these temptations. Maybe that's why we don't know too much about angels. The second time angels came was in the, was in the Garden of Sorrow. Now the Scripture said that Jesus went to Gethsemane and He went a little farther. I've heard sermons preached on that. Sermons that say Jesus always went a little farther than others. I don't know how far you can eisegete there, how you can stretch that, but I do know that night Jesus went to the place of unspeakable sorrow. And He fell on His face and He began to call out to God. It's in the linear action. It's continuous action. And the J.B. Phillips translation has it like this. He was horror-stricken and desperately depressed. And he said to his disciples, My heart is breaking with a death-like grief. And he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Now some say that what Jesus was doing there was that he was shrinking from death in fear. And others say that Jesus was saying to God, don't let me die here in Gethsemane's garden. Let me go all the way to the cross before I die. I really don't know if we'll, all, we'll understand all that's involved in that statement or not. But I know this. He could have turned back. He could have turned away from the assignment. He could have refused to go to the cross. But then came that immortal cry, Nevertheless, not my will but thine. And when he said that, an angel came and ministered to him. I'm not surprised, for angels always come and minister to us when we commit our life without reservation to the will of God. Now the trouble I have as I try to work through this is that most of us would have prayed that prayer with a kind of a sad forlornness. For you see, the will of God for most of us is something kind of dark and shadowy, something to avoid, something to choose as the last resort, if at all. Most of the time when I hear the term, the will of God, it's usually associated with tragedy. 
someone's killed in an accident and we say well it's the will of God a woman dies in the flower of her womanhood and we explain that by saying well that was God's will but I want you to know that for Jesus the will of God was life's greatest adventure surely there was a cross out there but there was the joy of fulfilling, of completing, of doing God's will in his life, of accomplishing God's purpose for him. That's the joy of it. That's at the center of it. For Jesus to do the will of God was life's greatest pleasure. And so one time he said, my food, my essential food is to do the will of my Father. No wonder the Apostle Paul could call the will of God good and acceptable and perfect. From the earliest time of my remembering, I was going to be a football coach. I lived and breathed it. Back when I was young, been a few years ago, Kyle Rote and Doak Walker and that group were in their heyday and I lived and breathed football. I started playing football as early as they would allow me to. The only sixth grader to make the varsity junior high team. I was going to play football and be a coach. Got into high school. Down in the deep of me was this gnawing little voice that said, Gerald, it's not my will it's not my purpose for you to play football, to be a coach. I kind of put God out, put him aside, closed the door to him, shut my ear to that voice, making plans to enter college, play football, coach. Toward the end of my senior year, God's voice rang interminable changes on one everlasting whisper day and night repeated so. It's not my purpose for you to be a coach. My purpose, my will for you is to preach the gospel. When I first began to think about that, I thought, you know, not being a coach is bad, but being a preacher is worse. You know, if you're not going to let me coach, let me sell insurance or peddle groceries. When I went to college and I prepared to the ministry and to Southwestern and I have come to tell you this morning that submitting your life to the will of God brings life's highest joys. The happiest I've ever been in my life, I think, is this very day my food my essential food is to do the will of God now I'm not sure what God's will for me is here but I know that whatever God's plan is for me it's the best thing for me now the question this morning is, what do you know about angels? 
Have you ever felt the brush of an angel's wing? If you say no, maybe it's because you've not resisted unto blood the temptation and the tempter. Maybe it's because you have been yielding your life to temptation and the tempter. Maybe it's because you have never ever really committed your life without reservation to the will of God. Would you like to today? In a moment, we're going to bow our heads and we'll have prayer together. We're in your Gethsemane and in mine. What does God want of your life? There may be some of you as far back as the back row of the balcony that I can't even see. There may be some of you down on the floor here who would have to say this. Listen carefully. I have not resisted temptation. I've been a miserable failure. I've disappointed God. I've sinned greatly. I want forgiveness of that sin. I know the only way to stand against the tempter is to stand in the power of God. There may be some of you who need to come this morning to say, Pastor, I feel God dealing in my own life in an area that I have not yielded to Him. And I want to come this morning to commit my life to God without reservation. It may mean you need to unite with our church. It may mean you're coming to trust Christ for salvation. And when you step out to do that, all heaven will break forth, and the Scripture said that angels will begin to sing. Heavenly Father, in this quiet and solemn, precious moment, we want your will to be done in us. Help us, Father, before thee to pray that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I pray that if there are men and women, boys and girls, who need yet to commit themselves, himself, herself, to the will of God, as it relates some area, as it relates vocation, as it relates church membership, as it relates to witnessing, I pray, God, that this will be the day when angels will be glad and the Father will get glory. Bring us to this place of surrender and commitment now because I ask in Jesus' name for His sake.